Well, good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Good, good. Hey, before we dive into what God has for us this morning, let's take a moment and remember the fact that we are a church for those who have given up on church. And for us, that means, yeah, we're a little bit different, but for us, that also means that there are some deep-rooted passions among us that we believe that church is not, hey, you come and, and you watch a service and then you go home, but it's about the people of God coming together to be the people of God so that we can go out and do what the people of God have been called to do. And I want to give a round of applause and appreciation to a group within our church that is driving forward this vision, this passion within our youth, and that's our youth leaders, our relentless leaders. And let me tell you, it is awesome getting to work with our relentless leaders and see them just to impact the students of our church. Like, I don't really do really anything. I just kind of like try to get out of their way and watch as they impact the lives of our youth in some powerful ways. So let's give them a round of applause for that, right? Well, in times past, I've told you about how when I graduated from high school, one of the first things I did was hop on a plane and headed off to Nigeria to spend some time that summer working uh, to do some kind of radical things. And I've told you a couple different stories that have happened. Some of them silly, like how people in the community I was working at thought I was a prostitute. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and some other incredible stories as well uh, that, that we've seen that God did some extraordinary things. And, and we went there not to put on tent revivals and things like that, which we did do that for a little while. But our main goal was we went there to start Awana clubs. Now, me and my team, we had grown up in Awana. We were very passionate about it. When we had seen Awana change the lives of kids. And if you're not familiar with what Awana is, it's a children's ministry that's all about bringing the gospel to kids and creating a deep love for the Bible among children. And so for me and the group of high school guys I went with, we had all grown up in Awana. We were very passionate about it. And we heard that Nigeria, this country that was in constant persecution to be a Christian, had only 10 Awana clubs in the entire country. And we were looking at it and we were thinking, well, there's 10 in our own town. This shouldn't exist. And so we got very passionate about this. And so we didn't ask for permission to do this. We kind of had this philosophy that it was better to ask for forgiveness than permission. And so we kind of decided as a group of high school guys, we're going to spend our summer in Nigeria and, and working to make a difference. So we did these tent revivals and, and we had a lot of conversions. And then we gathered those leaders and those, those Christians back together. And then we taught them in a week's time what Awana was. We equipped them, and then we launched them back out to their communities. And so I'm a little bit hesitant to give this number, but in a, in a time frame when we went there, like I said, there was 10 Awana clubs in the entire country of the, these children's organizations bringing the gospel to kids. And in a week's time, we started 35. And 35. Yeah, it, it was crazy. Um, yeah, that's not a, hey, congratulations. That's a totally God thing. It was the craziest week of my life. It was like starting 35 churches in an entire week. But here's the thing, like I said, we didn't ask for permission to do this. And Juana, in fact, didn't even know that we were doing this until we got back home. And they heard about, oh, hey, there's this group of guys who went and did this. And so they immediately reached out to us. And that year, I was sent all over the place with me and my team to speak at these conferences and kind of tell about, hey, what we got the, the passion to do. And, and it was a really great time. And because that happened is what led to me spending the following summer in Dallas, Texas. And see, Awana was trying to work out this partnership between a 
Nigerian denomination in Texas, and, and they thought, hey, let's send this young guy, and let's send him to, to be kind of a liaison intern there. And at the time, uh, um, I had just started dating my wife. I had just finished my freshman year of college, and I was looking forward to spending a summer with uh, my new girlfriend, who, yeah, became my wife, and, and working to, to earn some money to help make a living and not have to work so much during my sophomore year of college. But then I want to call, and they're like, hey, in a week's notice, will you just go down and spend your entire summer in Dallas, Texas? And, and so I decided that instead of having a great summer, I would spend my summer uh, living out of a motel in Texas, far away from anyone I knew, completely by myself, living off of peanut butter, jelly sandwiches, and takeout menus, um, living, like I said, in a motel, uh, a dirty one, um, and dealing with, <laughs> uh, dealing with this fact that I was draining my savings to, to do this, and, and in hindsight, I think I made the wrong decision. But it was this experience that was a, a bit of a roller coaster. And I, like I said, I had about a week's notice to get all the funding I would needed to be able to do this. And so I was incredibly stressed out during that time. And my church stepped in, and they were very gracious. They, they gave me some money to help make ends meet. But I still had this huge weight on my shoulders thinking, I'm about to do step out in faith here, God. I have no idea even where I'm going to be staying at, what I'm going to be doing. I'm not even quite fully sure if this is the right decision. But you've kind of laid this on my lap, and I want to go forward with this. And, and I'm stressing out about this. And then I get a phone call from my vice principal from my high school I grew up in. His name's Greg, and Greg is a great man. He, he goes to church with my parents. He sings in the choir, and he wanted to, to just catch up, hear how my freshman year of college was like, and hear about my summer plans. And so I meet with him for coffee, and we're talking. And, and I'm just kind of starting to open up, saying, here's what God has kind of laid on my door. And in about three days, I'm going to be hitting the road. I don't know where I'm going um, or what I'll be doing. And I don't have the full uh, funds I needed and things like that. And I realized that Greg had already heard about this, and God had laid it on his heart to, to do something uh, irrational. He, he slipped me a check across the table, wanting to help cover what I felt like God was wanting me to do. Greg, like I said, is an incredibly generous man. He, he likes to do a whole lot for his students, and he doesn't make a whole lot. I mean, first off, he's an educator, and we can all agree educators are not paid the amount of work that we're worth that they're actually worth, right? Like, educators should be paid higher than what they are paid right now. And so he's a, he's a vice principal at a high school that's much smaller than what Poplar Bluffs is, okay? So he's not making dough, but he's an incredibly generous man. He's always looking for these opportunities to help invest in his students and help them become what God wanted them to become. And he does it all from the shadows. He doesn't want the spotlight upon him. He is a man who leads the way with irrational generosity, which is something that we hope to build here at the Bluff as well. You see, as people come here and as people try to figure out what does it mean to follow Jesus, one of the things we're hoping is going to be built within us as a church, as a community that we're trying to build is that we want to lead the way with irrational generosity. We want to lead the way with irrational generosity. Because like I said, as people come here, and they hear the great news that Jesus lives and that Jesus has the heart to redeem us from our brokenness, there should be something that stirs within our hearts that says, I need to do something to express my gratitude for the amazing grace that has been poured out upon me. 
Because this is something that we see all throughout Scripture, that when someone has come to see that the amazing gift that has been given to them, the very least they should write a thank you note, right? But the very least we should be asking ourselves, what more can I do to express my deep appreciation for what God has done? When we start to look at then our, our resources, and we start to see that maybe God has given these things to us for us to reinvest back into his kingdom. That the things we have are not for nothing. But maybe there's a purpose behind them. Maybe there's something we can do with them. Maybe there's some way we can lead the way with irrational generosity and an appreciation for the grace that God has given us. This is something we see in Scripture. When you pull up passages like 2 Corinthians, you see that Paul starts talking about this a lot, that when God has given you grace and you understand what God has really done to do this, to give you this grace, there should be something inside you that says, how can I express my appreciation to this amazing God for what he has done? How can I take advantage of the opportunities that he has now given us? And so Paul is talking about this, and he he does it in a rather unique way, where he stops in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. If you want to read along with me, we'll be picking up in verse 1. And it says this. Paul says, we want you to know, brothers, he's talking to the Corinthians, okay? He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now, let me tell you about this little church in Macedonia because they're doing something that should not be done, especially in that day in society. They're doing something, you're like, how in the world are they doing this and why would they do this? Because first off, they are a Gentile church raising up money to help the destitute Jewish church in Jerusalem. Let me tell you, that does not happen. The Jews and the Gentiles are enemies, even still today. Like if you go to Israel, it feels like you're walking around a time bomb waiting for the moment where Jews and Gentiles are going to fight against each other. And by the way, we're all Gentiles. So Jews and Gentiles do not get along, especially in the biblical times. They're enemies. They go to war with each other. They kill each other. They harass each other. They harm each other. And so here Paul is saying, no, 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 there's something new that is going on. Because in God's new community, these barriers, these enemy lines that once existed have been done away with because there's something that unites us that's stronger, and his name is Jesus. That Jesus comes in and he, he removes the enemy lines and makes us one new people so that enemies can do what the Macedonians are doing. A story like this makes me think of how during World War I, the British and German lines were in a deeply entrenched battle against each other. It had been going on for weeks and weeks and weeks, and it was a dangerous time. The land was scarred because of the battle that's been going on. It was one of those where people are living in trenches. They're terrified to even pop their head up, afraid that someone's going to take a shot at them. It was a deadly time. And then in 1914, on Christmas morning, there was a ceasefire. And the Germans and the British came together and they sang songs, they exchanged gifts, they ate together, and and they worshiped God together on this special day. And for at least one day, there was peace and tranquility. 
And Paul is talking about something that is going on in the exact same kind of style that here are these enemies that normally have been fighting each other, but Christ has done away with that. And look now, now they're worshiping together. Now they're giving gifts together. Now they're doing something that's radical. And the Macedonians, these Gentile Christians are giving money to help support the Jewish Christians, the people who once were their enemies, people who once hated them, the people who once said, you can't be a part of what God is doing. And they're saying, we are hearing that you're in trouble. Let's hear, let's help you. That should not be happening. How strange would it be to see that? Because we don't see it a whole lot. Instead, we see people who look for any excuses to divide and separate and not to help one another. And yet Paul is saying that in God's new community, this should not be a strange sight. This should be a daily reality of seeing how God has stepped in to do away with the barriers so that a new way of living can now be achieved by humanity who are following this Jesus. I mean, if we truly grasped what it means to be a Jesus follower, it would completely change the way how we're reacting to 2020. Especially with everything we're watching on the news, it would completely change the way we've been reacting. If we just grasped what it means to follow Jesus. And so this is the first shocking thing that the Macedonians are doing. They're raising up this money. But let me tell you, it gets heavier because there's more excuses why they should not be doing this. Because if you were paying attention to what Paul was saying, he's saying that they're living in a position of extreme poverty. See, they're not like the Corinthian church. They're they're a simple, tiny little church who are struggling to make ends meet. They're living in a heavily impoverished area. They don't have all the bells and whistles of the Corinthian church. No, they're a little church that says, hey, we're struggling. Most of us live below the poverty line. We're trying to make ends meet, and that would be a prime excuse for anyone to make today, to not give. But not for the Macedonians. Macedonians, oh, they're all big on saying, oh, our God is so big. We've got to do something. We've got to respond. We see this need over here. We need to get involved. God's people need to be active in this. And so you're sitting there thinking they should not be doing this because they're in an impoverished situation. Any accountant and financial wizard would say, guys, hold on. Don't do anything. Don't be that generous. But they're like, no, no, no. You don't understand what God has done for us. We've got to respond. But it gets even heavier and more excuses of why they should not be giving because they're also being persecuted. If you read carefully what we just read, you would see that they're not in the same situation as at the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church, they're a church that could be sitting on the highway on a big building and perfectly fine. Everyone wants to go there. There's a sign. It's all wonderful. Everything is going great. But the Macedonian church, they don't live like that. They live in secret. They hide They're the kind of people who have lost their jobs. They've been ridiculed for their faith. Some of them have even lost their lives because they follow a crucified Messiah. If anything, they should be hiding. They should not be boldly standing up and saying, hey, how can we help? How can we get involved? See, they had every excuse imaginable not to be generous, right? They're from a different culture, a different people group that's viewed as the enemy. They're living in a heavily impoverished time where they're struggling to make ends meet. And then third, they're hiding for their faith. Every excuse imaginable. So oftentimes we look for any excuse not to be generous to people. And we will find the tiniest little thing and we will latch onto it and we will blow it up, take this little molehill and we'll blow it up into a mountain as something to justify our own cold hearts of not being generous. And Paul is talking about this church in Macedonia, and he's like, look, guys, they're, they're breaking the limits. They're doing what they should not be doing. 
And God is on the move, and God is doing something radical. And so maybe the question his followers and his readers should be thinking is not, hey, what excuses can I present to stop me from being generous, but to ask, well, how big is our God? And what would uh, be a great sign of generosity and gratitude for the generosity that God has given us? And so Paul is talking about this, and he picks up in the very next verse, kind of slyly encouraging uh, the Corinthians and he says in verse 3, he says, For they gave, talking about the Macedonians, he says, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify. Meaning he, he saw them. He was there. He witnessed them give this. And he goes on, he says, And beyond their means, which I love, because that's kind of like Paul saying, He watched them give, and then he watched them give more to the point where he's almost telling them, Guys, you need to stop giving, because this is not radical, or this is not rational to be giving this much. Okay, you need to stop, because you're reaching a point where this is a little bit dangerous, a little bit of a sacrifice, a little bit of a challenge for you. Okay. Okay, so he's saying, I saw them and give beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Man, I love just reading scripture slowly to, to chew on it, to see these really cool nuggets there in scriptures. Because did you just catch what Paul was saying? He said the Macedonians were begging the church leaders to give them some sort of opportunity to give. It wasn't like, hey, some preacher was standing up on a stage and says, guys, we really need you to give. No, no, it was the other way around where the people were like, guys, you need to give us opportunities to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Like, I love that. Because that's something that, that's not always seen in every church. And yet Paul is saying, like, look, they're begging for these opportunities to serve. They're begging for those moments, like we talked about last week, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And not just in their financial giving, he says as well that they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to the church leaders, meaning that they gave not just the resources, but they stopped and was like, hey, how can I give my time and my talents? What can I do to make this a reality? How can I contribute to being the people of God? As, a, as your pastor, I've got to say, that is something I've been so proud to see within our own church lately as well. Because as we have just bought this building, there has not been a week that has gone by where I have not gotten a text from someone saying, hey, uh, when are we going to go out and uh, do something? When are we going to go out and demo? Or when can, how can I give to make this a reality? I have loved every single one of those messages where people were like, hey, I, I want to go one step forward. There's this amazing opportunity. I want to invest what God has given me. Even last week, when we talked about how we're going to be raising up money for chairs, some of you came up and talked to me. It was like, hey, I don't want to wait until the 25th to, to sign a check for this. Can I go ahead and give you a check now? And they gave checks and money that was more than what we were asking for them. And I'm like, man, this is great. I have been so proud to see this church lately be like the church in Macedonia. To lead the way with irrational generosity. To see these opportunities and, and seizing them for what the potential could be to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I've been so proud to see that in you. And Paul, he is commending the Macedonians for the exact same thing, but he's talking to the Corinthians. And he's stressing what God is doing among the generosity of the Macedonians because he's trying to break something within the hearts of the Corinthians. Because the truth of the matter is, the Corinthians had grown stagnant in their faith. They had all that they ever thought they could achieve or wanted as a church, as a body, and they grew cold. They lost heart for the vision. And this happens not just as individuals, but as churches as a whole, that we can get to a point where things just feel stagnant. 
Like we're just coasting them by week after week and that what's going on here is, oh, it's just another calendar event instead of something more, instead of, oh, we're the people of God. I mean, just think about that concept. And they stopped. It was, oh, yeah, we're just going to go. We'll dress up nice. We'll say hello to people. We'll, you know, listen to some worship and a message, and then we'll go home, and that's it. It's a calendar event. They've grown stagnant. And so Paul is kind of talking to them about the Macedonian church because what he says next, if he continue on the passage, verse 6, it says, Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. So basically, Paul has just said, Hey, look at the Macedonians. Look how generous it will be. Look what God is doing in their midst. And we're going to send a guy your way to make you just the same. Because the church in Corinth used to be like the church in Macedonia. They had this impressive history of look at all the wonderful things we've done as a church and as a community. Oh man, people, when they hear the Corinthian church, oh, that means something. We have this history that we can point back to and say, look what we did this five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago. Look, we've done all these wonderful, different, generous things for the community. And then they stop and they're like, well, when we've got all these talented leaders up on stage, we've got everything we've won, and they were living in their past. That's the Corinth church. That's the state they got into. They weren't looking for the future. They weren't even seeing what the opportunities were in the present. No, because all they could do is they were just, oh, yeah, we did that a few years ago. That was great. That was wonderful. God did a great thing in us, and they're living in the past. And so Paul is saying, hey, I'm going to send Titus to you so you can complete what you started. And he goes on. He says this in verse 7. He says, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Now, Paul is being super sly here. I love reading Paul. He, he does this where he's just very sly. And here he is. He's basically saying, hey, there's this wonderful church, the Macedonians. They're doing a great thing. They're just being super generous and all that. And, and I know you guys ha have all these bells and whistles. You have this fantastic service. You have all these fantastic leaders. You have this fantastic history, yada, yada, yada. Uh, but maybe you should excel in this one more thing. He's kind of throwing them a challenge. Throwing them a goal of saying, hey, you're grown stagnant. Let's break that. So start by being generous. Start by looking for those opportunities where you could be the hands and feet of Jesus, where maybe your talents, your, your time, your resources, that maybe start seeing that God has given you those to bless others, to be a blessing. And so he goes on from there in verse 8. He says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. See, not once has Paul actually commanded them to give, but he's merely laid it out for them. And like I said, he laid out an example, and then he kind of said, hey, you got all these other great things about you, but hey, why don't add one more? And then he kind of hits on this important thing. He says, and the genuineness of your faith is going to be seen by how you're ger generous with others. I mean, think about that. He's saying, you guys say that you love God and love people? That's great. Is it seen in your genuineness? Is it seen in your generosity? Oh, that's kind of a, a sly, touchy little comment right there. And he's pointing out this kind of compare and contrast, because whose faith was genuine, if not the Macedonians? I mean, they didn't have the extravagant worship service. They didn't have all the bells and whistles. 
They're living in this tight situation, and yet he's pointing at the Macedonians and says, you guys have a genuine faith. Your love for God and love of people is serious because you mean it, and it's seen in how you're generous to other people in this community. And then kind of bringing the question to the Corinthians of, is your faith genuine? Do you really, when you say you love God and love people, do, do you have a generosity that proves that? This is a difficult ground to, to be talking about here. And if this wasn't enough to break the cold hearts of the Corinthians, Paul really brings out the big guns next. Okay, In the very next verse, he kind of rolls up his sleeve. He pulls out his ace hidden up his sleeve, and he pulls out the big guns. It's this really powerful verse in verse 9. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. See, Paul has just thrown in their faces the story of Jesus. Because for Paul, everything always comes back to Jesus. How we live, how we talk, how we interact with one another all comes back to our love for Jesus, for the story of Jesus. Because Christ, who is rich and mighty, gave up everything to make us who are poor rich in him. Guys, we're talking about Jesus here. We're talking about the image of the invisible God, the one who is before all things and all things were made for him and for his glory, the one who is the representation of God so that uh, reconciliation can happen through God. We're talking about the one who was with God and was in God and the world was made through him. We're talking about this Jesus who in Philippians it says he was, who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. See, this Jesus gave up everything he had in heaven to have you and to have me and to have all of us. Does that not just give you goosebumps? I mean, like, have you ever experienced a love like this where someone was willing to give up everything they could possibly ever have for you? And that's exactly how Christ has treated us. That's exactly what Christ has done to take us who are poor and to make us rich in him by making himself poor. That's the God we follow, people. It, that's the reason why we want to lead the way with irrational generosity because Christ set a standard for us. Christ gave up everything for us. Christ taught us something that we truly believe here that it is better to give than to receive. That it's better to give than to receive. I have seen that be a testimony of this church in my year and some change that I've been here. Me and my wife have been blessed tremendously by this church in some uh, small ways and some big ways, like from meals to helping us move in to gifts that sit on my desk to things I use every single week. But I've also seen this church be generous in some extraordinary ways, like how you go about building beds for kids in our community who don't have beds to sleep on. And how a family here, when we did a Rooted series back in the spring, a family here contributed to one to buy everyone's books. We're talking about $1,500 they spent so that every single one of you could have a Rooted textbook when we went through Rooted in the spring. I've seen you go above and beyond to show that this is something you truly believe, that it's better to give than to receive. I've shown, you have shown that you're more like the Macedonians. 
We have a great history of being irrational, generous givers. But let's not stop there. Let's not become like the Corinthian church that lives in their past and always all they talk about is, oh yeah, we used to do this and this is the great things we did for our community. Here's how we were generous in the past. Let's not become so focused on the past that we miss the opportunities there in the present. These moments that God gives us to be generous with our time, with our resources, to be able to reinvest it back into God. Let's be more committed. As we move into a new building, let's commit ourselves to be leaders of irrational generosity. Let's give in such a way that people outside of our family would say, guys, it doesn't make sense that you're that generous, that you want to give to make a change in this community, make a change in the world. And we say, we are that generous because God was that generous to us and we want to respond with appreciation and gratitude for what God has done for us. And so we're always looking for opportunities. Those moments that we can say, you know what, here's how I helped contribute to make a change. Our youth right now are doing that. Right now on Wednesday nights, they're raising up money to purchase the toilets in our new building. Something that they're, many of them have talked about they're very proud of. I've heard a few of them are like, yeah, I'm going to buy an entire toilet myself. Okay, we're calling this fundraiser Own the Throne. It's actually a lot of fun, all right? Uh, but seriously, our youth, I have been so happy every time I hear one of them make a comment like, I want to buy one of the toilets for our new building. And we joke and say, yeah, one day you bring your kids there and be like, I bought that toilet. I scratched my name on it and things like that. But we want to give you an opportunity as a church as a whole, which is why you probably noticed something new that's in our worship space. We're starting a brand new program here at the church. We're calling it Change for Change. And so you walked in, you probably saw that there are those five-gallon buckets that are out there. Here's what we're going to be doing. From now on, when you come in, we want to encourage you to drop off some change. And every year, we're going to raise up money an entire year that we're going to take all those buckets full of change and we're going to donate to them to some sort of ministry. And every year, it's going to be something different that our leadership has picked. This year, we've decided we're going to be raising up money for Sleep in Heavenly Peace to help get kids from sleeping on the floor back into beds of their own. And maybe next year, it'll be something different. Maybe next year, it'll be for foster cares or for child sex slavery or for a single mothers, support for single mothers. I don't know what it will be next year, but every year on our birthday, we will take all the change that gets put in those buckets, 100% of it will go to that ministry or organization that's making a change in our community. That money, none of it goes to any of our pockets. When we ask you guys to give offerings and stuff like that at the end of the service and stuff like that on your way out, that's to help make this a reality every single week. So Dave and I can put food on our table so we can serve you guys, work for you guys, so we can do all the ministries and programs that happen here so that we can move into a new building. But this is something different. This is something we're asking you to go a little bit above and beyond. And it doesn't take much. Because let's be honest, you're going to go and you're probably going to get like a Big Mac or something from McDonald's. You're going to hand them a 20. You're going to get some change. And instead of just throwing that in your car and letting it sit there until one day you sell the car and it's just full of change, why not you instead come in? Grab that change from your console and then just drop it in the buckets. And a year from now, I am so much looking forward to seeing those buckets full of so much change that not even James Osborne can be able to lift them by himself. <laughs> all right. This is an opportunity where all of us can contribute to making a change. Where all of us contribute to being irrational, generous human beings who are following a greatly generous God. So won't you pray with me as we, we move forward in this direction as a church? Father, I am I'm just giving goosebumps when I think about how 
You, you came into our world. You gave up everything you had before for us. You just don't see that love anymore. You're so generous, Father. In fact, you're generous even in this very moment because you're allowing such lesser beings to be able to talk to you. You're the creator of the universe, and yet you're giving us this generosity in this moment to allow us to speak to you, knowing that you're on the edge of your throne waiting to hear from us. Father, we ask that as we, we start to focus more and more upon you, and less and less upon ourselves, that you will move in our hearts to look more and more like you, to be generous and appreciation and a reflection of how you were generous towards us. Father, we ask that, that from this body, that when we gather together to be the people of God, what we leave here is people who are going to go out and do what the people of God have been called to do, and that's to be generous to this community. Whether it's something as small as throwing 50 cents each week into the bucket, something a little bit bigger like maybe tipping a good on Sundays or, or just something in general where we have gone out of our way to sacrifice for the benefit of another. Father, move in our hearts in this direction. Give us these opportunities to prove that our faith and love for you and love for people is in fact genuine because you are worth it. It's in your name I pray. Amen.